uh, did everyone, well, you're here, so I guess the answer is yes. You remembered to change your clock last night, right? Um, I have a confession to make. My wife is out of town helping my mom with some stuff. So I didn't have the typical sticky note on the mirror that said, change the clock back an hour. Now, I did, rem- I did ask uh, Alexa to give me a reminder, and she was very helpful. She did that. She didn't list the clocks, though, that needed to be changed, which was apparently what I needed because this morning my alarm went off. In fact, I slept great and got up, as I typically do, woke up about a half an hour before my alarm was to go off. I thought, well, this is great. So I get up, and, I'm, and I get ready, and I'm going about my business and, and just praying and thinking and doing all the normal things I do, and I come into the kitchen, and I look at my cell phone, and I think, that's odd. Is it really 5.20? And then I look at the clock that I did remember to change. The only one I remember to change said the same thing. It's 5.20. That's all right. You know what that's a reminder of? Even if we forget to change our clocks, God is never late. Isn't that good news? God is never late and he's never early. If you've been waiting for him to show up and answer a prayer, the good news is God knows exactly what he's doing. He is, he is never late, he's never early, he's always on time in perfect faithfulness to you and to your needs. The next time my wife goes out of town, I'm going to get her to write me a note that on the, on the mirror there. A couple of things I want to uh, let you know about before we go any further. Um, if you have not already noticed the change in our billboard on 17 North, right outside Chalot, across from Chick-fil-A, or uh, the same thing duplicated on our sign out front. Uh, it's, a, it's our logo with the heart, and inside the heart are written words about brokenness and things that we experience in our brokenness. And then it simply has a web address, fbcs.info, fbcs.info. Go home, don't Google that, put it in your address line in your, in your browser, uh, and it will take you to a specific page on our website. And it is on our website. It will take you to our website, but it's a specific page that shares the gospel and talks about how Christ meets our brokenness. And I'm telling you this now because if you have a friend or maybe yourself and you just need to be encouraged or you have a friend that you've been sharing Jesus with and you're saying, I don't really know the right words, listen, just give them that information. Uh, t- let them go to that address, then follow up with them on what they learned there. And uh, it's similar to our Next Steps site on our website in that there's a video that shows a basic presentation of the gospel using a tool called the Three Circles, which we will give you an opportunity to learn more about and learn how to use starting next year. So get to know that page. You can see that on our Next Steps site, but you can also go to info, fbcs.info. So get to know that and share that with your friends. The other thing I wanted to mention At the end of the hour today, we are going to pray for our nation and for this election. I don't know about you, but I think we need to be praying for our nation and for this election. We want God's will to be done, but God calls upon his people to pray, to pray for the nation, uh, to pray for the leaders, to pray for what's happening. Did you know that uh, the, the election process began in the colonies in the 1600s? A lot of people think it started with the founding of our nation in 1776, but actually electing officials was one of the first things that happened in the colonies, and the first two people to be elected by democratic vote in the colonies, well before we were the United States of America, was the first teacher and the first pastor. The people chose them, 
out of the leadership and who they believe God should teach them and who they believe God should shepherd them. And that heritage has been part of our nation since uh, that time began. But we're going to pray for our nation at the end of the hour. Uh, We pick up in our series today in Hebrews chapter 11. Find that with me if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. Just hold your place there for a moment. Uh, Last week around Halloween, the actress Megan Fox and her boyfriend, the rapper Machine Gun Kelly, gained a lot of attention for uh, their social media posts for Halloween. Machine Gun Kelly dressed up as a priest, mocking the priesthood, and Megan Fox dressed very scantily, uh, mocking a parishioner in a Christian congregation, and kneeling on her knees in front of him, uh, he gave her communion. And they posted this on their uh, social media sites as well as a video to go along with it, explicitly mocking the Christian faith, specifically the Roman Catholic faith. Not, not surprisingly, they got a lot of pushback for that. A lot of people criticized it. And one person put it in a nutshell as they responded to this. Uh, they said on social media, uh, if they were mocking any other religion or worldview, everyone would be upset. They said the obsession with mocking Jesus and the Christian faith is so sickening and hateful, but, they said, not surprising. Well, that raises a question. Why is it that it seems that the Christian faith is such a target to be mocked? And, and, and uh, what is it that makes people think they can get away with mocking Christianity when they would not mock Islam? And even right now, celebrities and sports stars are being vilified by the news and on social media for anti-Semitism, for things that they have said about Israel and about Jews, and they're, they're apologizing left and right, but not Christianity. Why is Christianity such a target? Well, here's the reason. See, the two faiths I just mentioned, Islam and Judaism, you are born into. They're about your ethnicity. Uh, in fact, Not to be a Muslim, if you're born into a nation that's Muslim, not to be a Muslim, you have to convert out of it. But Christianity has nothing to do with your ethnicity, nothing to do with your race, nothing to do with your status in life, your education level, your political position. It has to do with the fact that Jesus says all people are sinners and Christ died for all people and anyone and everyone can come to faith in Christ. Every human being that is a Christian chose Christ by faith to follow Christ and to be forgiven. But pay attention to that. Who are we following? You are following a suffering Savior. We are following the one who was crucified and persecuted, himself mocked and ridiculed for you and for me. That's why it is no surprise that we would be mocked for our faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if you're faithful, if you're godly, you can expect to be persecuted because you become a target. Why? Because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. A lost and dying and sinful world does not want to be confronted with their sin. So they mock Christianity. And God heralds you a hero when you suffer for Christ. Did you know that? God says you can glorify Him in your life. 
in all circumstances and all situations when you are faithful to the one who is faithful to you at all times and in every situation. Find with me again in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 this roll call of faith. We've been visiting heroes of the faith and next week we will wrap up the series by wading just briefly into chapter 12. But this morning we'll finish chapter 11 starting at verse 32. And what's different about the text, the section we're going to read this morning, is that the writer, rather than zero in on one or two people as he's done through this chapter, now to illustrate the kind of faith that trusts God for what you cannot see, there's a rapid-fire succession. It's like a dash across time as he mentions rapidly several people and then some by name and then many not by name but by the acts in their lives in which, their, in which God's faithfulness was illustrated to them. And through this dash, we learn this basic lesson. There's a fundamental lesson undergirding all this that this one thing they all have in common, we all have in common. And the good news is it's not perfection. It's not perfect faith. It's faith in the one who's always faithful. That's what they have in common. And God can work through you and through your faith when you trust the one who's always faithful. He's not looking for perfection in your life. He's looking for your desire to be faithful to him in all things. Your submission to him in all things. You're taking action and obedience to him in all things. That's what God's looking for. And those people get to see God work in their lives in great great ways. So look at this with me. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 32. As the writer wraps up the roll call of faith, he says, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign, foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. I want to pause right here and pray for us. Let me do that. Our Father, there are some in this room and at home who are struggling with their faith. Uh, maybe, God, it's because we can't really see ourselves in this roll call of faith. We, we see our lives as weak, ineffective in faith. We struggle, God, with our circumstances. And when we look at our lives, God, we sometimes wonder, why is this happening to me if God is always faithful. Why am I going through this? Maybe we're afraid of what's coming next and we're unsure and uncertain. God, remind us in your word today that you're always faithful to us. And we can anticipate you doing a work in our lives right where we are today. Father, for that one who struggles, for that one who's brokenhearted, for that one who's afraid, for that one who's uncertain, God, and even for that one that feels great, God, we give it all to you. Speak to us through your word and strengthen our faith today. And it's in Jesus' name.
we pray. Amen. What they have in common, all of those that have been reviewed, it's not their perfection in faith. The reason they have a legacy of faith is not because of perfect faith. It's because they trust the one who is always faithful to them. Different people, different eras, different circumstances, different results, but all have the same faith in the same God and in Jesus Christ. That's why God could do great things through them and show up the way he did in their lives. This whole section of the chapter debunks two common beliefs that Christians have about Christianity and about our faith. The first one is that God won't work in our lives unless our faith is perfect. That God doesn't favor us, maybe doesn't even like us, doesn't love us as much as the person next door, unless our faith reaches some elite level and it's perfect. Well, that's unbiblical. It's not true in this passage helps us understand why. The second misconception that's debunked here that goes along with this is that our circumstances are the indicator of whether or not God is working and whether or not our faith is strong enough. Let me say that again. And and we're sold this bill of goods all the time, even from television preachers, from people on the internet, from books you might read. It It goes like this. If God, if your faith is strong enough, God will bless you, and everything will go your way. You'll have the house you always wanted, the income you always needed, the car you always liked, the spouse. It doesn't give you any trouble. I don't know, the kids. You know, you'll have what you always wanted. My spouse, by the way, gives me no trouble. <laughs> Let me clarify that. And I give her no trouble because I'm smarter than that. You know, when you talk for a living, things just come out, and you just don't always know. Sometimes it's just not wise. We're sold this bill of goods that our circumstances indicate whether or not God loves us, whether or not our faith is good enough, and that's just not biblical. Every person, every stage of life, Every era of the faith holds this in common. It's a God that matters. We trust the same God. Your circumstances change. The strength of your faith might rise. It might fall. How do I know that? You know why? Because the Bible constantly talks to us about our faith. Strengthening our faith. Letting God strengthen our faith. What matters is that Our faith is in the one who never changes, the one who is always faithful. We've seen it over and over again in this chapter. It's God's promise. It's God's character, God's word, God's will. That's why we put our faith in God for what we cannot see. God is always faithful, even when we falter. The Apostle Paul said it exactly that way. When we are not faithful, when we're faithless, he is always faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's his character, his nature. He cannot deny himself. He will always be faithful. And that's who you're putting your faith and your trust in. So when your circumstances make you struggle, turn your attention back to him. He's the one who's always faithful. It's what he says about you and your circumstances that really matter most. We're going to go back to this passage for just a minute, and we're going to ask and answer this simple question. What can God do through me? How can I be part of that legacy of faith? How can I trust God and put my faith in the one who's always faithful to me, even when I'm struggling, even when things are difficult or harsh 
are not going my way. And what does God do through people of faith? What can God do through you if you trust him? No matter what's going on in the circumstances, you always trust God, no matter what. Let's look at that together. First of all, through people of faith, God provides great victories. God provides great victories. That's the first thing he talks about in the chapter. As we read it, this roll call of faith, he mentions a few more people specifically. He seems to be so excited, he even mentions them out of order in the biblical faith. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith, what did they do? By faith they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire. Uh, Daniel shut the mouths of lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quenched the fire by their faith. They trusted God even when they were in the fire. And then he reminds us of the prophets and the great works that God did through the prophets. And then he said even uh, the, the women received back their dead, back to life again. God works great victories through those who trust him. It's just a simple truth. But it's God's victories that he's working. And it's our faith in his faithfulness that lets him bring about those victories. And that might be what you're looking for in your life. You're looking for God to do a great work in your life and you're wondering, God, what happens now? Maybe you're not good enough. Your faith isn't strong enough. Why isn't God bringing about a victory? Well, that brings us to the second thing that, that we need to remember, what God can do through you and through me, through people of faith. God not only provides great victories, God proves his faithfulness. God proves his faithfulness. Look at verse 35. Other people, now, now he's mentioned these great heroes of the faith, Gideon, David, Samson, great heroes of the faith. Then he says other people, nobody by name, just other people. That, that's kind of like you and me, isn't it? Were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. Uh, the belief in history is that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. But it's just an anonymous group traveling through history, suffering for their faith, mocking and ridicule and trial. And, and why do we have these great heroes of the faith that precedes those who suffered for their faith? Doesn't it seem like the Bible's telling us and God's telling us you should be more like those great heroes through whom he did victories than you should be these people that suffered for their faith. They're nameless in the text. But what connects them to those warriors of the faith is not the skill of the warriors and it's not the shame of the sufferer. It's the faithfulness of God. And see, it's easy to miss that every one of those great warriors who were named had flaws and failures and sins in their lives. God didn't use them because they were great. God used them because they came back to him. David committed adultery, lost his whole kingdom to Absalom, then finally was able to regain it by the grace of God. God forgave him and used him again. Gideon lacked such faith when he came to God and God called him out to lead an army, Gideon said, are you kidding me? I am the least of the least, the lowest of the lowest from the lowest tribe in all of Israel. I'm the last guy in the world you would ever call up to lead an army. And his faith was so weak, he asked God to prove it 
over and over. We need to be sure about this. His faith was that weak. And he doubted. Samson, Samson was a womanizer. And because of his perspective and his lust, he lost his power. But at the end of his life, he repented and came back to God and God gave him God's power to bring down the Philistines at the last moment. Every one of them in some way failed God, betrayed God. And every one of them came back to God. What links them to those who suffered is God who is faithful and their faith in the one who is faithful. Then we have this recitation of sufferers. Those who were mocked, were beaten, were tortured, were martyred for their faith, we're told. And not a single one of them, the scripture says, would accept release. What that means is not of any of these heroes of the faith recanted their faith, turned their backs on Christ, turned their backs on God. Every one of them stood firm for Christ to the very end. Not a single one said, yes, just take off the chains and I'll say whatever you want me to say. Every one of them suffered and died for their faith. And because of that, the writer says, they did that that they might gain a better resurrection. Now, does that mean that different people have lesser resurrections and some have midline resurrections and some have greater resurrections or Christians divided up at the resurrection? That's not at all what that means. Every, every Christian experiences the same resurrection. What this means is because they found God's faithfulness, they lived for Christ through the suffering, through the pain, through the torture, through the ridicule, ridicule through the mockery. They lived in caves, they lived in holes in the ground, they went hungry if they had to, but they never recanted, never turned their backs on Christ. The resurrection will validate their faith. It will cry out to history and the world, I was right to stand for Christ. It means that they will be the ones singing the loudest at the resurrection. They will be the ones on the front end glorifying God the most. They will have a better resurrection in the sense it's so much sweeter because they were vindicated at the end and they had suffered for Christ. So when you and I get to glory and you wonder what all that noise is up front, yeah, the book of Revelation bears it out as well. The martyrs are singing the praises of God around the throne of the Lamb. Suffering and celebration can go together. Praise and pain can go together. And when we walk faithfully through the Christian life, that's what we learn. We put our faith and trust in the one who's always faithful to us. And we have plenty to praise God for, even when we suffer, because he is always faithful to us. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln delivered two different addresses one month apart. In October of 1863, he delivered his address which instituted Thanksgiving. A day of Thanksgiving, he said, right here in the middle of the Civil War. To thank God for his mercies, all Americans would get together and thank God on the third Thursday of Thanksgiving. One month later, he stood at Gettysburg, uh, the bloodiest battlefield imaginable, and delivered the Gettysburg Address. Praise and pain 
praise and pain. And through all of it, thanking God for being faithful to us and for who he is. Maybe right now you don't feel so much like there's victories of faith in your life. There's more like suffering in your life. But what we all have in common is we serve a faithful God. We serve a faithful God. And he is faithful to you. Whatever you're going through, he hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't relinquished command. You haven't turned your back on him. Well, he hasn't turned his back on you. And he is always faithful. He is always there. And he is always loving you. And that brings us to the third thing God does through people of faith. The the reason for all of this, in fact, is that God points people to Christ. God points people to Christ. It's the reason the great heroes of the faith experienced their victories. It's the reason that the heroes in the legacy of faith suffered as they did. It, It was not so they would look great. It was so Christ would be glorified. Christ would be honored. Christ would be anticipated and he would be lifted up. Look at verse 39. All these were approved, he says, through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. The whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 begins with explaining to us what it means to have faith that God approves. It's it's faith trusting God for what we do not see. And and all of these trusted God for what they could not see. They didn't stare at their circumstances and and let that dictate what they believed about God. They trusted God's character. They trusted God's word. They trusted God that there was much more coming, much more out there. And the Bible says right here that without them even knowing it, they were investing themselves in the coming of Christ. But God did not send Christ yet yet. He waited and didn't fulfill that promise of what they were waiting for, what they were looking for, because he wanted to include us in that promise. He wanted to be sure all of us could be included in that promise. He wanted to be sure all of us could come to know Christ. And by looking at their lives, we would understand who Christ is when he came. Their faith was approved because they trusted God for what they could not see. And their faith was approved because they believed God for greater things coming And each of them point us to faith in Christ. In each of our lives, whether we suffer or experience failures, whether we're forgiven, whether God brings about great victories in our lives, each of our lives can point people to faith in Christ. That's what God is doing. That's what God does through his people all the time. And if you're suffering, if you're struggling, you can know that God will use your life to point people to Christ. Those who experience the great victories Though they were flawed and failed and sinful, but then forgiven and God used them again, they foreshadowed the greatest victory of all. The king of all creation would come to earth and be victorious over sin and death. And that whole host of unnamed people all through the ages, some even now today suffering for their faith, martyred for their faith, ridiculed, mocked, whipped, beaten for their faith in Christ, refusing to recant. All of them foreshadow the coming of faith in Christ, that Jesus Christ would die on the cross, would suffer the most, because he would carry your sin and my sin to the cross. Those great believers of old foreshadowed the very coming of Christ. God points people to Christ through their lives, and he can point people to Christ through your life as well. Be faithful to the ones who who is always faithful to you. Let him work through you. Don't don't let the circumstances or situations 
dictate what you believe about God. Stand firm. Trust Him. And if you have faltered or you have failed, come back to Him. He will forgive you. He wants to work through you to bring about great things. He wants to work through you to show the world who Jesus Christ is. In October 2019, two young men showed up in New York City in front of a billboard for the New York-based program Friends, which is still so popular, there's billboards for it still in New York City. But they disagreed with that. They didn't think that was the best New York-based comedy. So they took a cardboard sign, and they wrote on that cardboard sign in black marker, Seinfeld is way better than Friends. And they held up the sign. The man holding the sign is Seth Phillips. And Seth held up the sign so you could see the Friends billboard behind him. And his buddy took a picture of him, and they posted it on Instagram, on the Instagram account called Dude with a Sign. Dude with a Sign went viral. In six months, Dude with a Sign had 5.4 million followers. Every single posting now still has 150 to 200,000 hits and likes constantly. Well, they knew right away they had a hit. So what they do, uh, Seth Phillips still goes out. They still photograph him. They still post it to Instagram. And all the signs are these trivial, benign things, but they're things that everybody thinks. There's one of them holding up a sign in the middle of the city, that says, stay seated till the plane stops. Uh, there's one uh, that's where he says, this, I have to be honest, this is my favorite, I don't care what you had for lunch. Uh, there's another one, he's holding up the sign, and all it says is, not everybody needs a podcast. On and on and on and on they go. He did it all through COVID, constantly pictures of them. Not all of them are things you want to repeat in public. But they're all connected by being just trivial. Gripes. Things that will be forgotten in a few years. Every time you stand for Christ, you're a signpost for the greatness of God, for the faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ. Your legacy of faith, just like those believers of old, will last through the ages. Oh, you remember when she stood for Christ. You remember when she was faithful. You remember when he was faithful. I know they were going through a hard time, but they loved the Lord. They believed in his faithfulness and he was there. He was there. He was there. I remember that. And your life is a signpost along the way and God writes not trivial things, but the magnificent truth on your life that he is always faithful. Trust him for what you cannot see, because he's always faithful. Maybe you're in this room this morning, or you're at home, and you're wondering, God, where are you? Good news is, he hasn't gone anywhere. He loves you, he cares for you, he's always faithful. And that's all he asks of you, and of me, is that we trust him for what we cannot see. Can you do that today? Put, bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to pray for us, but before I do, heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody looking around. I'm going to ask you a question. Does this passage strike home to you because you're going through some stuff? Maybe it's you're, you're undecisive. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe it's real heartache. Maybe it's financial struggles. Maybe it's health issues sitting before you. 
today you would just ask God to bolster your faith. You've been reminded he's faithful to you. I want to pray for you that God would bolster your faith, to cultivate in you that faith in him for what you cannot see. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, just lift your hand up where you are. Nobody looking around, just lift your hand up where you are. Good. Thank you. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You see our hands. God, we, we're going through some stuff. Struggles, heartaches, worries, fears. And God, we, maybe we haven't been completely faithful to you. God, it's good to know we don't have to be perfect. But Father, we ask your forgiveness where we have let you down, where we have failed you or faltered along the way. Father, please forgive us today. Restore and bolster our faith in you. And God, we praise you that you have always been faithful to us. You've never let us down. You've never walked away. You've never turned your back on us, God. You've always been faithful to us. Father, how we praise you and thank you for that. So God, for all of us who raised our hands and all of us here and at home, Father, my prayer is you would strengthen our faith today. And God, you would show us at work, you at work in our lives today, God. But whatever we go through, whatever is happening in our lives, Father, whatever we face, whatever we fear, however we suffer or celebrate, Father, all these things we trust you. We trust you, the God who never changes. And we praise you, Father, for that. God, there may be one or two here or at home that uh, need to make a decision today. Maybe there's some that need to rededicate their lives to Christ. Maybe there's some who need to follow through in believers' baptism. Some who need to join fellowship with First Baptist Church. Others, God, who just need to turn over to you what they try to hold to keep a grip on God. They need to commit that to you today. Maybe there's one or two here or at home, Father, that would trust Christ as their Savior today. God, I pray today would be the day we would give our lives to Christ. They would give their lives to Jesus, and we would surrender everything to you. Walk out of here in fresh faith, God, to follow Christ. Write your faithfulness on our lives, God, that everyone can see it, and help us to trust in you for what we cannot see. God, we praise you, and we thank you. For this time of response, Father, I pray you'd be at work in our midst right here and in homes. I pray, God, you'd be at work there that we would bend our knee to you, Father, surrender everything to Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray.